0: Welcome to Coming Clean, the podcast dedicated to common sense environmental dialogue, environmental optimism, and real environmental solutions. This show is proudly powered by Orsted. Welcome back to Coming Clean with your host, Benji Backer. I have Katherine Kellogg. And before I let Katherine introduce herself, I want to kind of pump her up a little bit because she and I met on a presentation or speech about bridging the political divide on climate a few years ago. I think it was at the beginning of COVID on one of those Zoom events that we all dread now. Uh, and it was we just kind of hit it off because we talked a lot about kind of personal action and personal responsibility and how climate change in the environment kind of s- protecting it starts with us, even though there needs to be bigger entities, obviously, at the table with solutions. It starts with us and it starts with our voice. And, you know, we we talked a lot about our political backgrounds and 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 how it didn't really matter to us. You know where the solutions came from, and we just really hit it off. But she's also uh, in her own right one of the, the kind of the foremost leaders in eco eco friendly living. She's a spokeswoman for National Geographic on their plastics uh, and low kind of waste living lifestyle content and information. She's an author of two books, including One Hundred One Ways to Go to Zero Waste. She lives in a beautiful state, which I'll let her talk about. Uh, but most of all, she is just a leader, especially in social media with a huge following, telling people how they can live their lives in a more eco-friendly way that fits their lifestyle. And with that, Catherine, welcome to the show and, and tell us a little bit about yourself, your story, how you got here. Uh, and then we'll, we'll jump into the rest.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me. Uh, so I kind of fell into sustainable living completely backwards. I was a full-time working professional actor, and that means I was broke. And I started making a lot of these swaps to save money. And what I realized is these swaps uh, weren't only better for my personal health. They were saving me money, but they also happened to be really good for the environment. So, I grew up in Arkansas and Texas, and neither of these states, I think, are states you think of when you think about really environmentally, environmental policy focused states. And so, you know, we didn't have recycling when I grew up. I didn't know what recycling was until I was in college. It was very late or behind on a lot of these things. And I just got really excited to learn more. And I think a lot of my content comes from the place of discovering and learning. And I'm not out here trying to say that I'm perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but I just got excited by learning new things. And I think a lot of people really resonated with that message because so much of the environmental movement at the time, at least felt very preachy. And it looked very much as if, oh, well, I'm doing this. This is, it was really telling people how to do things rather than looking at it from a different approach of, oh, I just learned about this and this is really cool and this is easy and this is how we can do something. And so I think that really attracted a lot of people.
0: Mm-hmm. I totally agree. And I think one of the reasons why people are so attracted to your brand is that they want to take action on the environment, they want to protect the environment in their own lives, but they don't really know. How and they don't know how to be advocates, they don't know, you know, what jobs to get into, but most importantly, they don't know how to live their lives in a way that's sustainable. But you help them do that, and I think while that's the truth that people want that, there also are a lot of people who, especially, are young that don't think that their personal actions matter. So, why do you think that those actions matter so much, and why do you feel like your brand has grown around that premise?
1: Use my trash. One of the main things was. You know that saving money aspect for me. But one of the things I really like about starting with your trash can or what you throw away is it's one of those things that's really, really tangible. You can't go outside and see or grab or touch or feel a greenhouse gas emission, right? right. But you can hold a plastic water bottle. Mm-hmm. And you can hold whatever you're throwing away, and it's something that you can see and feel has an immediate impact. And I think it's a really nice way to get people started. It's the perfect area for people to feel like they can have an impact because they can physically see it. And then you can bridge that gap, I think, into a broader conversation about how we can reduce emissions or how we can become more politically active and how we can become more engaged because it shouldn't rely on us being perfectly zero waste and completely reducing our trash to zero, but it's how can we start with these small changes so they translate into it becoming easier for for us to make larger changes. Mm
0: -hmm. And one of the things that I really like about what you talk about is how you know, personal actions alone aren't going to solve the problem, but they add up to a significant benefit to, to the world and they really start the conversation. It kind of is the start of that snowball. Can you talk a little bit more about why you feel like that's an important step in the process and that people who just skip to kind of the big action should pay attention to some of these kind of more hyper-local or even personal decisions?
1: Yeah, I mean I think all action is great. Jumping to large action is also wonderful, but I do think that taking personal action and personal responsibility is sometimes easier, or at least it feels easier to me. And I think we need everyone doing everything. So if your immediate thing is to jump out there and start writing emails to companies and starting writing emails to politicians and having meetings with them, I think that's fantastic as well as how can you bring these changes into your own home? Uh, Because when we do look at the big four places, we can have impact. That's your home and your environment. That's your trash. That's your transportation. And that's what you put on your plate. And no one has to be perfect at those things, but we can definitely all make small changes in those areas to reduce the amount of resources that we consume.
0: Yeah. Actually, can you repeat that one more time? The the different ways that you can personally do it? You talked about putting food on your plate. What Say that again, because I think that that's a really important thing that you just hit on.
1: So you have your own home and your own environment. So this mm-hmm. would be, where's your energy coming from? How can you reduce your energy consumption? How can you reduce your power? How can you conserve water? How can you make your home more efficient, your living environment more efficient? The second one is transportation. How mm-hmm. often are you flying? How often are you driving? How can you reduce your transportation emission. For me, I walk a lot, I bike a lot of places. It's a great way for me to reduce my footprint. I'm going to New York this week, I'm taking the bus. I go to Boston often, I take the train. I'm trying to reduce my travel emissions. Third thing is trash and recycling. How can you reduce your single use packaging? How can you reduce your consumption, what you buy, what you bring into your house? And then number four is what you put on your plate. And can you reduce the amount of animal products you consume? I don't tell anyone to go vegan, uh, but I do think that currently... The average person in the U.S. consumes about three quarters of a pound to a pound of meat a day, which isn't very sustainable. It's not super great for our health. I mean, I think the one thing that all nutritionists agree on is that we could eat more fruits and vegetables in the United States. So how can we add more of those to our plate? How can we add more good fiber for our gut? And how can we be kinder to the planet as we do that?
0: What I like about that, too, is that it's not about perfection and and saying you have to go vegan, you have to bike, you have to do these things. What you're saying is that it's just an improvement on where we currently are. And I think that is so much more realistic, I I think, to New Year's resolutions or or like other things in our lives where we're saying we want to be better. And sometimes it's it's these big changes that scare us away from actually doing it. You know, I want to look like this, but it would take a really long time and I can't do that overnight. And I think that also applies to environmentalism and sustainability people in their day-to-day lives think well you know i'm not going to go completely vegan so then i'm just not going to do anything and it's you know if you're going to cut down your meat consumption 20 to 30% over the course of a few years that does make a huge difference and just like a car that's 20 to 30% more efficient makes a big difference than the car that wasn't that 20 to 30% more efficient so i like the steps in the right direction rather than the perfection that i think is kind of the stereotype of where the environmental movement goes. And I guess on that note, you know, when it comes to personal action, the stereotype is plastic water bottles, recycling, et cetera. What are some of the -the out-of-the-box or underused examples of ways that people can be sustainable in their day-to-day lives that you wish got more attention, that got the attention of the plastic water bottle example, uh, but just doesn't yet?
1: So, I'd love to tell you about my 330 rules, which is 30 days to wait to make a purchase. You can buy anything you want, anything you want, anything you see, I don't care what it is, anything you want, you can buy it if you wait 30 days. Mm. And you're not allowed to write it down. You have to see it and you go, okay, I really like that. I'm going to come back for that in 30 days. And I'm going to tell you right now, you're not going to be thinking about it 30 days later. And if you are, it means it's truly something that is going to add value to your life. It's truly something that you actually want. So wait 30 days, buy anything you want. And you will be shocked by how little you wind up going back for because you just don't remember. And if you don't remember, you probably didn't need it. Mm -hmm. The second 30 rule is if it's under a 30 minute walk or under a 30 minute bike, take your bike, take a walk. You'll get in some really good exercise. And it's a great way for you to reduce your driving. Mm. Third 30-minute rule is spend 30 minutes a month engaging in some type of action that is larger than yourself, whether that's volunteering, joining a group, going to a group meeting, uh, or writing your local legislator. How can you spend 30 minutes creating taking an action outside of yourself? And I think if you can do those three things, you're going to really, really be able to reduce your emissions, it's not going to take that much time out of your life. And in fact, I would say that most of these things are probably going to make you feel a lot better because you're going to be less cluttered. You're going to be a little bit more active and you're going to feel really good about the action that you're creating in your own community.
0: I love that because it's also very oriented to think, you know, 30 minutes of a day th- throughout the course of a month that you could be doing something like that. 30 minutes of a walk instead of a drive. 30, you know, 30 days to wait to buy something that you don't necessarily need. Those are all very actionable things. But you're right. They make a huge impact. And I, you know, I, I'm the culprit of this, too. I think, you know, we live in a very Consumer first culture where, you know, we want something we can get it. And in the days of Amazon kind of growing into our lives where we can get anything literally anytime we want. And we can even choose the delivery window. It just makes us feel like that is okay. And it is when you actually need the thing. Uh, it actually is very nice to have that accessibility. But a lot of times we're doing, we're making so many purchases and we're making so many decisions that we don't need to. And we don't even think about it. And having that consciousness isn't a burden on your life. You know, walking that you know 25 minute uh instead of driving for 10 minutes isn't a burden and, and and same with you know volunteering for something bigger than yourself 30 minutes a month i just love those ideas and haven't actually heard of them and i think it's just a really good example of kind of the approach that you take uh because it it truly is one of those things that's far more in reach than you than a lot of us Perceive the environmental movement to be that comes across as very out of reach, uh, and one of the reasons that comes out of comes across as out of reach is because we are seen as needing to have these global solutions, these you know these international solutions, and in fact, we're often told that by media and the scientists. I guess at a high level, I'd love to hear your thoughts on what you think the role of individuals the government businesses are not not at like the solutions level where you're discussing all the solutions but what where do you feel like the balance could be struck and how do you feel like because of personal action and, and the way that you've seen that scale through your followers what what role does that play compared to the business and and, and government angle
1: this is a very large question and i hope yeah. i have an answer for it <laughs>
0: So, if you had the right, if we all had the right answer on this, we would have solved these issues by now. So it's uh, we don't have high expectations from uh, solving the whole world's problems, but I think you've got a good understanding of the balance that we can strike.
1: Yes. So I mean, my answer to the original question, I think, which is you know how do, how do all how do I feel about all of these things coming into play? Governments, people, businesses. My answer is just yes and yes mm. and yes and let's keep going. So I think it is going to take everyone and everything. I believe it's Catherine Hayho, who's one of my personal heroes, who says there's no silver bullet, but we got a lot of buckshot. And so it's all about you know all of these things moving in tandem. And so something I think is really interesting is how much we've just seen in the last seven to 10 years of recognition from companies and from the government and how this has become a much bigger issue And I think that's because of people demanding change, creating change and saying, here are my lifestyle actions that I'm doing and why I'm doing this is because I want the market to know that there is demand. So then the supply can change um, and these new and better alternatives can be offered. And that's what I think the main goal is with individual action. Then with taking the action outside of ourselves, which is, you know, emailing these businesses, talking to our politicians, trying to help create and move forward this legislation, which is obviously much more powerful when done with a group. So I would highly recommend anyone join a group, especially a group who is working towards creating more political change, adding your voice in so our politicians know that there is demand and that people are wanting these things to be changed.
0: That's that's a really great answer. I think that the way that you strike the balance there around the demand is is really what it comes down to. Because if consumers are demanding it, voters are demanding it, uh employees of of companies are demanding it, uh, and if politicians are demanding it, if all those different entities and individuals are, are demanding it from each other, then it accelerates so much more. And I and I totally agree with this idea of how much progress we've made is because we've been taking so many shots at the problem. And some of them work, some of them stick, some of them don't. And if we had the perfect silver bullet solution, we would have done it by now. And, and, and there really just isn't one. Uh, But that means that you're going to have to try a lot of things and the yes and approach and being okay with having the results of your attempt end up in a no, no, this didn't work or no, this wasn't impactful. But as you've seen personally, the vast majority of the time, the progress does get made and you know having something advocacy wise or consumer wise work seven or eight times out of 10 is a lot of progress being made and i think we focus too much on being scared of those two or three times where maybe that action wouldn't work and then we just shy away from the problem altogether because it seems so burdensome but it's all just about those first steps so one of the first steps that people often take is being active on social media. We're in an era where social media activism is kind of at an all-time high. Instagram graphics and, you know, you think back I think back to the the Black Lives Matter protests and 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 pretty much every social issue and basically any political issue since then has been on everyone's Instagram story. There's also been a lot of critique of that saying that that doesn't make that big of an impact, but for a lot of people that's their first step. You're invested so heavily in a lot of a lot of arenas. It's not just social media, but you put a lot of time into social media. And I have seen your efforts work in terms of making an impact in people's lives. Where do you feel like social media activism plays a role in this? And what can people do to make that activism actually have an impact?
1: Great question. I actually did a whole guest lecture at UC Berkeley on this. And one of my questions that I asked to the class, I said, how many of you posted about these issues on your social media? Almost every single hand in the room went up. I said, Mm -hmm. how many have had a conversation in the last month in real life about these issues? About four hands stayed up. So I think what's really important is, I, I mean, obviously, I think social media is really, really important because it's a great way to stir up discussions about these topics, but then how can you take that and use that as your social proof of, yes, I'm talking about this. Yes, this is something I care about, but how can you create those conversations in your real life? And one of my favorite, favorite things about last year is... One of my friends, so this was uh, at a show that I did. It was a castmate, a fellow castmate. Um, he's vegan and he would make the most amazing recipes and bring them to the cast parties. And I asked him, I said, Do you want to co host a vegan supper club? And so it was a supper club where we invite tons of people, uh, all in the acting space, over for dinner. And the recipes are available so people can have a great time, eat fun vegan food, try new recipes, take them home, incorporate them into their life.
0: Mm.
1: It was such a fun way to spend time with our friends and to create these really impactful, fun memories. And so many people started incorporating more plant-based dishes into their diet. So you can do these things in a very fun, non-preachy way. And I think that's what everyone is scared of. They're terrified of feeling like they're preaching to someone. Mm -hmm. Don't have to preach to someone. You can have an intimate conversation one-on-one with your family with uh, your friends, or you can create an event, uh, and do something fun together. So maybe you take your mom on a low waste grocery shopping trip, or you create a new plant-based recipe with your dad, or you take your friends out and go to a vegan supper club, or you tell all of the multiple times in the discord server that voting is coming up and you make sure every single one of them vote. Right. So there's all sorts of fun ways that you can get people involved in doing things
0: and i love the the interpersonal communication it's 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 not as easy as just posting in your instagram story something and thinking that that alone is going to make the impact it is it is a step that people can take but it's about at the, at the core of why that would work right is because someone would see that and that could change their minds what who's to say that that same approach shouldn't be used in our interpersonal communication that that actually having conversation directly about things in a non-preachy way it's how you can move the ball forward. And I think back, it, it, this isn't as uh, engaging as, you know, going on a a, a vegan uh, kind of grocery trip with, with your mom, because I think that's like a, a great example of something that's really fun to do. My parents and, and sisters growing up were vegetarian and, and or vegan. And it wasn't necessarily for environmental reasons, uh, first and foremost, but it was part of it. I was not, and I'm, I'm still not, but I... Growing up around that, I was much more open to it because I saw that it doesn't hurt someone's life or, or it's not a negative in their lives to be eating that way. And I got exposed to so many different foods and, you know, cuisines even that I had never been I would have never had my eyes open to. And it's because of that interpersonal connection that I had with the topic. They never told me that I needed to be that certain way. They never acted like I was bad for not being that way, but I was exposed to a different thought process that I otherwise would not have been. And now I am more than happy to go to vegan restaurants and more than happy to eat some of the cuisines that don't have very much meat. And and in fact, I I really like it. And I think that there's a lot of good to it that, that a lot of people don't understand because they're not exposed to it firsthand. If you have relationships where you can talk about these things or have fun experiences that open people's minds, that really can go... A long way. And I think that that interconnectedness between individuals on this topic is a lot of times what's missing, especially from the social media content, is a graphic alone doesn't have that connectedness that these sorts of examples do. So how would somebody who has never participated in this sort of eco-friendly living lifestyle, who might think because they haven't been exposed to it, that it's not accessible, it's not affordable, it's not something that is easy to do in their day-to-day lives. How would they how, what would you say to them to to help them take that first step and why should they take that first step when they're doing just fine as they are right now?
1: Not to add another negative to that list, but also I think it's really paralyzing with how many things they could do, right? Mm. Because there are hundreds, probably thousands of ways that you can live right. a bit more of an eco-friendly life in your day-to-day. And so it is really overwhelming to say, okay, where do I start? Which one's best? What's the hierarchy? How do I know what to do? It becomes very, very overwhelming. And in fact, the last tip, not spoiled spoil the end of the book, <laughs> in my book, 101 Ways to Go Zero Waste, is literally pick something. Pick three things. That's your goal. Just pick three things. Forget everything else. You just read 101 things to do. Forget. 98 of them. That's the right math. 98 (laughs) of them. Forget 98 and focus on three. And that's how I really, really like to recommend it to people. Start with three things. But if you really want to get into even more of a a task, if you just need one task, my first task would be to perform a trash audit. That's where Mm -hmm. I recommend people start. Track your trash for a week. You can do this with a clipboard or you can just go into your trash bag right now, sort through it all and say, okay, well, I threw out four cartons of soy milk. I could buy a larger carton of soy, soy milk. Mm-hmm. I could look into making my own soy milk. Um, or maybe it's, you know, almond milk. And almond milk is very easy to make. You know, you only need a third of a cup of almonds and four cups of water. You blend it. Congratulations. It's, you know, how can you make a really impactful change? Maybe it's paper towels. You have a ton of paper towels how can you swap those out for cloth towels, which is a much easier swap than people give it credit for composting. Typically 50% of your, what you throw away is organic matter that could otherwise be composted. So maybe you start a compost bin, boom, you have mm. cut your trash by 80% and you've made three changes. So mm. if you still feel overwhelmed with what those three changes might be, I highly recommend a trash audit.
0: Well, I love that. And actually it makes me think back to when I, got when i lived independently from from campus the first time in college i was in this small house with my friends and and in seattle they have a, a garbage bin a compost bin and a recycling bin the recycling and the compost bins are about the same size and the trash bin is by far the smallest it's incredibly small and i remember looking at that and saying oh my goodness seattle is just a bunch of liberal hippies who are thinking that we can't we can't throw away our trash and like how am i supposed to fit all my trash in this one little thing with this big of a recycling compost bin, and then I started actually just sorting it like they want you to do in Seattle, and I was like, "Wow, there is so little actual trash that we throw away, and most of it's wrapping, which is not very large, right? And obviously that has its own issues, but it's not very large in terms of volume. And most of it was food waste. Most of it was recyclable. Uh, thankfully, Seattle has good recycling facilities. But yeah, you know, there's this 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 kind of wake up call that." We are really just misusing uh, the way that we, or miss kind of throwing away everything that we're, we're 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 using, and there are so many more efficient ways to think about it. And as a conservative leaning person growing up, I just would have never realized that. And I don't want to get too deep into politics because I know that you kind of bridge an amazing divide just by the values of what you talk about. But you did mention kind of growing up in Arkansas and Texas. We've talked about this before. You have a family, you know, who has who is conservative family members. Can you talk about why a conservative leaning person should deeply about this approach of personal responsibility and action? And maybe there's an example of a time with your family or friends where it's woken up you know, their willingness to engage on this. Is that something that you've seen? And if so, how can other conservative leaning people who haven't been engaged, engage with this sort of approach?
1: Absolutely. So I think this is a great question. Yes, I mean, I have a very conservative family. I have family who works in the oil industry. So, you know, Thanksgiving dinner is so fun. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but I really want to use the example of my dad. So I, uh, and I I love, all of my family members. I mean, we all get along really, really well. Uh, but I think something that's really interesting is his big passion is the ocean. He loves the ocean. He loves sailing. He actually lives on a boat. Uh, he loves the water. And he talks about all of the plastic that he sees in the water and how it directly impacts something that he loves. Mm-hmm. I, and I, you know, this winter, right? If you have family members who love skiing, right? There are the 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 ski resorts or the places where you go skiing in Europe that are closing down because there's not enough snow, right? So it's how are these things impacting what someone truly cares about? And so my dad is super conscious about plastic waste because he sees it, and you know he lives in a really small boat, so he can't buy a bunch of stuff, so he's very conscious about you know, what he buys and what he brings on board. He has solar panels on his boat because it's just so much more efficient for him to run that way. And so it's really amazing to see all of these changes. And even though we don't see eye to eye politically, you know, Mm -hmm. there are so many issues that we do agree on because I think the core of us, you know, the core of our beliefs often align it's just, we don't agree on the solutions. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, you know, we want clean air. We want Mm -hmm. clean drinking water. uh, We want better equality and access for human beings. And it's how how can we achieve these things? And so I think it's really important that we talk about what our core beliefs are and how those align. Um, And while we might disagree on the solutions, you know, we agree on what our major goals are.
0: Well, I think that is at the core of what's been missing from this conversation is that people do have the same values when it comes to the outcome that they want for the environment one of the ways that i've really liked how you've bridged it and i think a lot of it was just unintentional from you just leading from the front and just doing your thing is that a lot of conservative leaning people love the personal action approach that you've taken because it speaks to that individual responsibility and personal responsibility that a lot of conservatives believe in when i first had that event with you a few years ago when i followed you on instagram i remember seeing some of my most conservative friends And political people that I know follow you and liking and engaging with your content because to them it was an accessible way to engage on this topic without getting involved with the policies that they might not support, but in a way of living and and kind of being the example, which is something that a lot of conservative, true conservative people believe. And it seems like your family might be the same way. But a lot of the times it's on something tangible to them, right? It's the oceans. It's something that it could be the food that they eat or it could be their local park. But it's something that they can see and feel. And that's something you tap into with everything that you do. But one of the differences in approach outside of that that you also take is you lead with most of the time incredible positivity. And the environmental space is oftentimes crowded with negativity and and really hard conversations that oftentimes get more attention because they're so negative negative. and so i don't want to say alarmist in a negative way but they are alarming or they're they are alarmist and you you lead with the positive stories with the positive examples and not just with your personal examples of of how to be more ego friendly but also policy wise you provide updates on good things that have happened around the world Can you talk about why you lead with positivity in a world where, in fact, it's not rewarded on social media to kind of engage in that sort of behavior and why that sort of approach on the environment is so important for especially these kind of younger climate activists to start thinking about leading on as well?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So what's really interesting is I started this series called Good News Friday, and I started it in 2018 or 2019. I I can't remember exactly which year, but at the time... No one was doing it. It was, and it was very controversial to be highlighting Mm. good news. And I do want to draw a really large distinction between toxic positivity and then maintaining optimism. And I got so much negative feedback when I started this, I got a lot of good feedback, but I also got a lot of negative feedback because people were saying, Oh, if you celebrate this, people are going to get comfortable. They're going to get too comfortable with the wins and they're going to stop. Mm. And so I know that there are some people who are fueled by fear, who are fueled by being scared, but I'm not one of them. I am Mm -hmm. paralyzed by my fear. I am Mm -hmm. scared and I don't want to feel hopeless. I want to feel like my actions matter and seeing people take action and have that action produce a positive result, even if it's not a perfect result gives me hope that I too can be one of those people who's creating change in their corner of the world. One of my absolute favorite things every year is the Environmental Goldman Prize. Um, this award, which highlights activists in each continent, well, each you know livable continent, uh, <laughs> and gives them an award for the work that they have done. And it is incredible. If you want to go just feel fantastic and read some really great stories of, of, of these people who have created amazing change in their community. And most of them are just regular people. They're just people who are out there thinking, wow, that's a problem. I wish I could do something about that. And then they do it and it is incredible. And so that's what I think for me, it was mostly about how I could make myself feel better. And I was hoping that if this made me feel better, maybe it would make someone else feel better too
0: well that is so inspiring and and for the record i i do i do remember you being the first one i saw doing those things uh, on social media and i i think that that's also the power right is that you want more people to and what i really appreciate about you too is that a lot of the things that you do probably can and will be copied but that's why you do it because you know that that's going to snowball they're going to have that you might not ever be able to reach just like you do, and, and they're following you because you have such amazing ideas that can, can be replicated. And and that's where the personal action comes in, right? Like, If you are an entrepreneur that comes up with a really interesting and, and potentially uh, impactful technology for the climate crisis, then maybe someone else will see that and copy it and try to do a similar thing in a different way, and it's all pushing in the same direction. And what I really like about the personal action being in a positive way is that that's what it's going to be, what it takes to solve the problem. If you think back through history and all the tough things that we've tackled throughout the, the world's history, it has it's come with a, a healthy dose of, oh God, we need to change this. But it's the people who think, oh God, we need to change this, and I see an opportunity to change things for the better, and there are good things that we can do to change that. Those are the people who end up changing it because- that's where the solutions come from. If you're constantly worried and constantly scared, and I'm not trying to belittle those who are, but you, you you have less of a drive to be a part of the change, whereas what you're saying is true. You can be paralyzed by fear, and and, and maybe it's justifiable with, with some of the issues that are going on. But to solve the problem, you need hope, and you need to have a vision for the future that is positive, and to highlight those people and those stories that are going to do that that, that same thing. Uh, in, in the essence of the short amount of time that we have, because we talk about this for hours, uh, I want to get to a few kind of rapid fire questions that I've kind of always wanted to ask you. And the first one is out of all of the sustainable, you know, ways that you live your life on a day-to-day basis, what is your one or two favorite products that you use that people should know about?
1: Okay, so my absolute favorite low-waste swap of all time that I think everyone should have because it'll make their lives so much better is a bidet attachment for their toilet. Just hands off We flush, I think it's 27, it is. We flush 27,000 trees down the toilet every single day. And you could just have a much cleaner... Better life experience with a bidet attachment, and I will harp on about it forever. And I've had several different brands. I'm I'm not really brand loyal. Every single one I've had has worked great. From the Braun Dell that I picked up at Home Depot to the Whisper bidet that I ordered offline, like they are fantastic. And that's my biggest recommendation.
0: It is so for anyone out there. Fascinating to think about how even a decision like that, which doesn't maybe seem like sustainable off the top of your head, actually makes a huge difference and can be ingrained in your day-to-day life. And like you said, make it a lot better. Okay. If you could embrace the, or sorry, if you, if you could protect one place in the world that needs to be as healthy as it's been in the past, where would it be? And it's just because of your own personal love of it or because of how important you think it is, where would it be?
1: I would probably work on preserving a lot of the wetlands in Arkansas.
0: Love that answer. And is that because of the personal connection you have to growing up near there or why is that?
1: Yeah, I think it's the personal connection that I have. I mean, there are so many places that I would want to preserve, but if I had to only, if I can only pick one small area, yeah, I would preserve what is closest to my home. And I know that the wetlands are something that's really, really important to Arkansas and there are so many lakes and so many bodies of water and ensuring that those bodies of water uh, have really healthy ecosystems is something that would be really important to
0: me. Well, I think it speaks to that localization of the issue that people care about in the way that speaks to their heart and the communities that they lived in. I love that. Okay, same same question, but if there's an animal that you could protect and have, the, have be the healthiest species ever, what would it be?
1: I'm ready. So my favorite animal is the African penguin or South African penguin. I think they're so cute. I love them. They're beach penguins. I mean, and if I were a penguin, I'd probably rather be a beach penguin than... <laughs> an icy cold penguin. So, but their numbers have rapidly, rapidly declined. And Sancob is a fantastic organization. And I think they're doing fantastic work about trying to preserve them, but their numbers are just so, so, so far down and they're mm-hmm. endangered. I believe they're endangered. Benji, let me look this up real fast. Okay.
0: I bet they are. Um, cause I've, I've actually, I've, I've heard of that. Yeah. That's
1: they are classified as endangered. Um, but yeah, they're underneath They're they're having just a massive rapid population decline just for so many reasons. And so that would be the one animal that I would definitely try and save because they're my favorite and I think they're adorable. I think they're really cute. And yeah, I mean, like I said, I'd want to be a beach penguin.
0: Well, I think that's a great uh, next life for you is a, is a, is a, is a beach penguin for the penguin population. That's rebounding. Cause you, uh, you, you chose it as the one to to be healthy. Uh, awesome. Okay. Two, two last questions. And I, this is not meant to be a negative question, but in the world of opportunity costs, where we can only spend so much time focusing on so many things, what do you think is the most overhyped or most over-focused on sustainable solution that maybe isn't necessarily, it doesn't have to be bad, but it just, we could have our efforts be focused elsewhere?
1: Single-use plastics. And why is that? Plastic in general. Let me rephrase. Plastic in general, because I do think that it's often pretty easy to make a choice between a single use plastic or, uh, you know, really instead of buying single package servings, it's, it's easy to buy a larger serving and then you can mm-hmm. kind of build it out yourself. But I think plastics have been so, so focused on, which is important. I mean, they are part of, you know, they are a byproduct or a product of the oil industry. Right. And it is a very very large problem. And I'm not saying it's not a large problem, but oftentimes the solutions have required more emissions to create or produce. So for instance, Mm. a plastic bag, you'd have to use a paper bag three times to equate the emissions of the plastic bag. So instead of focusing on disposable alternatives that are better, quote unquote, maybe we could focus on completely different alternatives that would make an even larger impact. So I think, and now I'm speaking specifically from the zero waste, where we were so hyper-focused on plastic that we didn't take into account a lot of other things. So it's how can we remove ourselves from this hyper-focused fixation on just plastic and how can we look at the larger picture and create better systems? And how can we go about things in a better way by taking more into account? So I think that's just coming from very, very personal experience. Obviously, I think single-use plastic is a problem, but is it the biggest problem we're facing? I don't think so.
0: Sure. And it's almost a reframing of how we solve it rather than the way of just because we're not using a plastic bag, automatically things are better. It's not that simple. And to be conscious of that is really crucial. And those reusable bags are oftentimes... Uh, we we get so many of them all the time because we think it's like more eco friendly and then we have tons of them we forget them and there's just a lot of nuance that goes into it that we need to be conscious of. Okay, last rapid fire question. Other than the bidet, what is the most un or what is the most surprisingly enjoyable sustainable action that you thought might kind of suck to do but actually has been enjoyable? Great question.
1: I have really, really cut down on travel, Mm. really cut down. I take one personal trip a year, which is almost always to see family for some sort of family event. And I take about one business trip a year. Mm. And I have not flown personally for pleasure uh, in a very long time. And I've been saving up those emissions in order to take a really long, meaningful trip. My husband and I have been married for six years. We have not gone on a trip together, the two of us. Uh, on a, on a plane. We have not gone on a plane, um, to go somewhere since our honeymoon six years ago, because we've been saving our emissions for a longer, really impactful trip for the two of us, which I think we might be taking this year. And I'm very excited about that, but something that has been really, really enjoyable is the fact that we have been taking smaller trips that are closer and more Mm -hmm. local to us. We've been exploring our local area We've really been enjoying visiting our local and surrounding areas. And we've been focusing our trips a lot closer to home, things that we can, you know, take the train to, things that we can use public transportation. And it has been so enjoyable and it has been so stress-free. It has been so easy. It has been so relaxing. And I think a lot of travel is kind of overhyped. I think it's stressful. And I think that you could space your very long-haul pleasure flights out much more and have such a good time exploring your own area. Our country is beautiful and there are so mm-hmm. many beautiful things that to see and do. And I do not think that you have to fly halfway across the world to have a nice time.
0: I, that, that's really meaningful to me too, because obviously as someone who travels a lot for work, traveling for fun is not always that fun because I don't want to be traveling. And to your point, it can be stressful. Uh, but your, your, your point about how every area of this country really has something close by within a few hours of a drive or, or whatever, or even potentially down the road, that is absolutely amazing. And it's what you make of it. You know, there's, there's national parks everywhere. There's, you know, oceans, farmland, you know, forests everywhere, mountains, there's so much to do everywhere. And I think you're right, especially in this kind of craze of, of posting on social media about these travels that you've done that, you know, also shouldn't be shamed, but there are so much in, there's so much in your backyard that could be much more peaceful, much more relaxing, and also open up your mind to a lot of things that are close by that you might have not been aware of. And I mean, you live in Maine, a state that is absolutely gorgeous, but that whole entire Northeast is gorgeous, and there's so much to do near there that you don't need to fly across the world. And yeah, I've lived in Seattle for the past six years until a couple months ago, and there was so much to do there that I actually regret kind of leaving for vacation when there was so much to do in the mountains there. So I, I think that that's a great answer. But that's you know that's kind of at the spirit of of why I love the work that you're doing is because, as we've talked about so many times, there are so many. It's examples of where being pro-environment comes across as being doom and gloom, bad for you, bad for your econ, or bad for your economic, you know, development as a family for your family or your local community, and, and just harder for your life. But the reality is, it doesn't have to be that way. And you've kind of set this this roadmap out for people to help them understand that it can be actually so easily integrated into their day-to-day lives and in a way that really equips them for a better future, a healthier future, and a more efficient future. And for that, I want to thank you for your activism, for your leadership, and also for, for coming on today and having such a great conversation.
1: Oh, thank you so much. It is always a pleasure to talk with you, Benji. Thank you so much for having me on
0: before we jump, the Coming Clean podcast is grateful to be powered by Orsted, a wonderful company strengthening America's energy security with reliable and domestic clean energy. Through its integrated renewable energy solutions, Orsted is creating American jobs, investing in American communities, and driving American innovation, all while preserving our country's natural habitats. A clean energy future truly connects us all, and Orsted is helping lead the charge. To learn more, visit us.orsted.com.